Hi, I'm David Usher, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Tomorrow with Rovio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Mattis. As we explore the future of entertainment, one theme has come up many times with almost every guest we've talked to so far, which is artificial intelligence and how artificial intelligence is changing entertainment. My guest today got his start in the world of entertainment and creativity as a rock star. Frankly, he was the frontman and lead singer of a band that I grew up listening to called Moist. When I was looking for someone to talk about artificial intelligence and its role in the future of entertainment, there were a few people that came to mind as having a more interesting and unique perspective on that subject than David Usher. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, learn a little bit about all the different ways AI is going to change the world of creativity and entertainment, and just generally learn a thing or two like I did. Without further ado, David Usher. Here we go. It's so funny because we live in the same neighborhood. We pass each other, or rather before COVID, we would pass each other in the streets probably weekly. And yet this will be by far the longest conversation we've <laughs> ever had. Let's start with the, you know, the, the, the easy stuff, the setup. The audience of this podcast presumably are people who are, uh, you know, interested in the future of entertainment, which is really sort of what our, our, our theme is. But we've touched upon games, film, uh, you know, streaming, TV, lots of sort of different areas. And, and hopefully our conversation today can be wide ranging. Um, but for the people who are listening who don't know you, can you give a little bit of your background? Yeah. So my name's David Usher. And uh, I mean, I, uh, I do a lot of things. I, I'm a musician by trade. I've been, uh, I've been um, playing music for many, many years. Um, I wrote a book on creative innovation. I do a lot of speaking about creative innovation and artificial intelligence. And I run an artificial intelligence creative studio called Reimagine AI, where we build virtual beings. Wow. I'm sure we will be talking a lot about the virtual beings stuff. And before we jump into sort of AI, which I really think will be probably the, the centerpiece of our discussion, um, can you talk about the transition from being a performer, because you, you were a performer, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of our listeners had, you know, heard you maybe, if not up on stage, at least heard your albums. Um, can you talk about the transition from being a performer to sort of looking at creativity in a broader spectrum and, and sort of, I don't know, wanting to share your thoughts about creativity in a book and, and, and kind of almost go on the speaking circuit about creativity. Like what triggered that transition for you? Sure. I mean, you know, I, I got very lucky that the, the music went really well. We sold a ton of records and, you know, we're touring all over the world really. And I settled, I, we, my wife and I settled in New York City. Um, this was a right around when Twitter launched. Okay. And uh, I got very interested in why the curve of the music business was falling into the sea while the, the curve of the internet digital and the web was going up, up, up. And that really led me down a rabbit hole of really looking at technology and getting very interested in tech, in tech and startups. I actually ran a social media aggregation startup um, back around then that was doing aggregated streams on um, uh, Adobe downloadables when that was a thing, oh, wow. um, iPhone and iFrame. So I've sort of had, I've had a hand in tech for a long time, an interest. You know, that experience really gave me a comparative between types of creativity. And uh, my book is really a comparative between the types of creativity that artists use and startup entrepreneurs use. And if you look at the actual methodology that we all use, it's very, very similar. You know, what you're trying to do, your, your, your goal or your, your endpoint is different. And the way you do metrics is different. The way you measure things is different. Um, how you validate is different, but the process that we actually go through to make things is very similar. And if you can separate your creative thinking methodology from the vertical or the genre that you're working in, um, you can really use that methodology on all kinds of different things. And then, and then the world really opens up to you because everything becomes interesting because it's about the creative process and performing that process rather than just the genre itself. Huh. Okay. So brought up a really interesting point, which is, you know, how the sort of creative process 
commonalities, I guess, of the creative process across all of these almost divergent industries maybe is a little bit strong, but certainly these different industries. And I want to touch on that. And I, I'm going to ask you in particular some to talk a little bit about creativity in entertainment. But before I do, I want to start with a definition because different people have different definitions and I, I find that it really colors their answers. So for you, how do you define entertainment? Like what is entertainment for you? I don't... I don't really define, like, I don't really define entertainment. I, I think when I think about creativity in the creative process, it, I, I, I define things much more bluntly. We're making shit. Okay. Whatever that Great. is, right? <laughs> We're just going out there to, to create things to make shit. And, whether, and, and creativity can exist in many forms. It, can, it exists in art, in the things that you're making, in tech, in the things that you're making. It exists in a negotiation. It's a process. It's a way of using inputs going through a process to get to an output. And that can exist in all kinds of different things. There are so many moments in life that are actually creative process, parts of the creative process that we don't identify as that. Absolutely. And so if if creativity is going out there and, and making shit, um, <laughs> is creativity growing in life? I mean, my, my question here was originally centered on entertainment, but let's just scratch that. Would you say that as a society, we are getting increasingly creative? I, I, I think so, because I mean, the tools to be creative and the, the, the information and the ideas that we have at our disposal is now infinite. We have so many possibilities of what we can build, how we can build the knowledge that we can suck up from the internet. You know, a lot of what I talk about is, you know, right at our fingertips now, we have access to uh, the greatest thinkers thinking about the greatest things that they're making while they're making them. Right. We have incredible access to ideas um, right now, which we've never had before. You know, back in the day, it was you know two library books that you could check out for two weeks right. um, that were that were ten years old. Now we can hear from the you know the greatest speakers in a field, the greatest thinkers in a field about what they're thinking about while they're thinking about it. Um, it's pretty it's pretty incredible the access. And not only that, the tools that exist to be creative, you know, there's so many digital tools now that, you know, everyone can be their own media company. Everyone can make their own music. Absolutely. The question is if we just get overwhelmed and if we yeah. actually go out and do it, that's, that's always the, the, the hard part. And it's interesting, the overwhelming can be on both sides, can it? I mean, as a creator, the, the platforms can be overwhelming. Am I a Twitch streamer? Am I a, a YouTuber? Am I a TikToker? Am I going to uh, go up on Patreon? Am I going to, uh, you know, whatever, have a blog? I mean, there's, there's so many different options in terms of platform. There's so many options in terms of supporting tools. Uh, you know, am I going to use this audio package? Am I going to use that audio package? Am I going to invest in learning OBS, for example, or am I going to focus on you know, more, more relevant to this podcast, learning audacity or whatever the case Absolutely. is. But then there's the flip side, isn't there? Like as a consumer, I mean, the choice is overwhelming as well. Uh, you know, oh, I'm interested in uh, crocheting. Okay, great. There are 15,000 creators on YouTube showing their crocheting process. Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, how do I sort of, you know, how do I sort through that? Do your thoughts about creativity extend at all towards discoverability or kind of like standing out? Or are you more just focused on, as you sort of said, you know, sort of making shit, unlocking the creative process? I guess another way well, of looking at that is, is creativity without an audience, you know, important for its own sake? Or do, do you focus a lot on discoverability as well? It really depends on, you know, uh, the creative process can live on many, uh, you know, it's a spectrum, right? Yeah. If you are creating something purely for yourself, for the id, then you're not necessarily focused on audience. And that can be successful because if you're not focused on audience and you're making something purely for yourself without any audience um, participation or, or care about the audience, then that can be a success for you. If you're making a widget that's made for everybody, then success is purely measured by the audience. Um, you know, where you put yourself on the creative spectrum is a choice these days. Yep. Um, for myself, it falls in different categories. You know, when I'm, when I'm, sometimes you're making a song for yourself, you're just trying to make what you think is great and you hope that maybe other people will like it, but you just don't know. If I'm making, if I'm making an AI for like a, a virtual being for a country or a company, there's an expectation that it will perform in certain ways and, and, um, 
there, there, it's not just my expectation. There's a whole other set of expectations that go along with that. And so you have to think about those things as well. Yeah. It really depends. Cre- creativity itself can live on that spectrum anywhere. Where you choose to put yourself um, is a totally different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we hold ourselves accountable with our, with our success metrics. And then in doing so, personally, I find that in some ways, my growing ambitions, right? Let's say for this podcast, the growing ambitions for this podcast then drive creativity, right? When it first started, maybe the ambitions were just, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a couple of talks with some smart people? As I do more of these, I want to dig deeper. I want to talk to, you know, more and more people. I, I, I have some hopes and dreams about, you know, being heard by more and more people. Um, and I find that that's then driving the creative process even more deeply because I, it's forcing me to look at additional tools and expand my network and, and expand my understanding of various spaces. So what sort of started with maybe a more kind of personal goal is eventually sort of increasing over time towards a more, you know, sort of discoverability or, or sort of KPI focus goal as I learn what I'm doing and as this sure. process grows. Yeah. I mean, that's totally natural. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you build and you try and scale, you know, yeah. and, and how you try to scale or if you try to scale depends on what your purpose is. We've talked about creativity and, and in there you dropped um, a couple of times the work you're doing uh, on virtual beans. But before we get deeper into that, you know, when did you, I guess, discover AI? What, what motivated the, the sort of transition or hyper-focus on AI? Can you tell us a little bit about your, your journey into this space? Sure. So, I mean, I was doing a lot of corporate speaking um, and I still do a lot of keynote speaking, um, a lot of tech companies actually you know, everyone from Google to SAP, all, all sorts of different companies um, about creative innovation, because I'm very passionate that creativity is something that most people are not exercising their, their you know, their, 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 their true capacity. But as AI is sort of the, the next big wave change, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's coming to, it's going to really change everyone's lives, or it already is. Most of it lives under the hood, invisible right now, but it's really coming to change all the processes and systems that, we're, we're, that we live within our work. I'm very interested in things like climate change, which is the other sea change that's coming. You can't talk about um, change, what's going to change within creative innovation and the world and the workplace without really understanding AI. And when I talk about things, I like to understand them at a level where it's not just me reading books and watching other speakers and then regurgitating what they're saying. I like to talk to people from a place of actual knowledge where you've actually, you work and build with the technology. And so for a long time, I spent uh, looking at what was my inroad into artificial intelligence. Um, I worked on something with uh, Pablo Samuel Castro from Google, uh, which was called Lyric AI at the time. And so it was an an algorithm that can, um, where uh, songwriters can collaborate uh, on song lyrics with an AI. And so we worked on that for a while. It's still going on. Yeah. And then um, from that, I was really looking for my in. And for me the one piece that's really missing with artificial intelligence is the interface. What is that interface between uh, uh, AI and the human experience? And so interfaces and engagement is something that I've been doing forever, you know, whether that's in a book or a show or a speech. It really is understanding how that human engagement needs to happen. You know, fortunately, we're just hitting that pe- that period where the, the AI technology is just moving from research at the big tech companies and universities to becoming programmatic. And it can actually be used in work. Um, and so that's how we started the, the creative studio, Reimagine. I mean, it's, it's a perfect setup um, to this next question because y- you said it yourself, AI has sort of been lurking for some years. You know, we've all been using AI probably daily um, and might not even be aware of it when we get a recommendation from Netflix or from Amazon or... Uh, you know, use text to speech or, or you know, whatever. The AI is 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 everywhere, and and yet very often it's it's masked. It's not necessarily sold as AI. It doesn't necessarily feel like the future unless you sort of stop and dig into how that might actually be working. It feels to me like in the last few years, though, that highly creative uses of AI, AI where that interface, as you you, you put it are in some ways the forefront of the experience, are really starting to take off. So do you sense the same? Do you feel like we are maybe at that tipping point? 
Yeah, um, absolutely. What do you think is causing that? Uh, is that just a natural evolution? Is is that just was it was it inevitable it's, that that would it's happen? It's the maturing of technology of the tech. Yeah, you know, ideas that have been f- around for a long time conceptually. Now you can actually build into things that actually work. Right, and that that's the real that is the real tipping point where where you can use these technologies in innovative ways and build things that we could only imagine before. We're really um, hitting places where you know a lot of the stuff that. There's a whole new um, kind of medium media built, being built around this stuff. There's a whole new batch of companies that are coming up together um, in this new field. The way I think of it, it's, it's a new genre of storytelling, really. It's a new way to sell stories. It's a new way to interact. And it's going to be far more than just faces on screens. Right. The way this technology can be used is, you know, only limited by the imagination. We have a vast, there's just vast possibilities of what we can build now. Can you share some examples, just a couple of stories of, of really inspiring or creative uses of AI from the trenches that you've seen over the last couple of years? Things that you caught your attention were real like aha moments for you? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of very interesting technology. From, from the story side of it, our Albert Einstein is, is part of a, a program we call Learning from History, mm-hmm. where conceptually, you know, the way it's worked in the past is you'd read a book, you'd watch a video, you'd look at some pictures, and that would be how you learned about the past. Mm-hmm. Now, we believe that in the very near future, you'll be able to talk to characters from the past and learn directly from them about their past those kind of things. We're working on things, you know, you can bring people back from the dead. You can do all kinds of stuff that seems very black mirror, but is, is <laughs> really here now. And, and if, and I don't really look at it as where the technology is right now, because a lot of this tech is, is even though it's usable, it's in its infancy, but the two to five years, there's going to be an exponential shift in how this technology works. Even in, even what we're doing, we, we use, you know, we, we use, um, you know, animation, 3D graphics, blend shapes, rigging, all kinds of stuff to make our, to make the, the animated side of, of the, of our virtual avatars. But very, very soon we're at the very, you know, the edges of, um, you know, GAN networks being able to build these things, um, in seconds, mm-hmm. um, that work in real time. It, it's going to be GAN's adversarial networks. Um, so anyway, we're, we're, there's a lot that's coming down the pipe. That's really exciting. That's, Really interesting, and and I'd I'd love to just dive a little bit deeper on that. So let's take the five year vision for well, let, let's take the Albert Einstein. Sure. So in five years, um, theoretically, Albert Einstein might maybe sound even more like Albert Einstein. The voice, you know, parody might be closer. Uh, the sophistication of his answers might be richer. Um, you're saying also that you, you think AI could power the animation uh, of the character as well. So the way he moves won't be sort of hand animated anymore. Uh, it'll, it'll be driven by, as you said, uh, again, any other sort of lofty aspirational visions uh, to share about what you think, for example, your your Albert Einstein digital being could be doing in five years if 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 AI trends continue. We're building, for example, we're building a program right now around uh, First Nations in the residential school system, mm-hmm. First Nations people, um, because you know as the kids that went through the residential school system are getting older, those stories are in danger of being lost. Yes. So we're working on we're we're building a coalition to build a virtual being that has lived through the residential school system and can talk about what it was like and their life afterwards, how it affected them. And these are, these are new tools of way we can, the ways we can hold on to legacy and history and story and allow future generations to really interact with those stories in really personal ways. God, that's amazing. I mean, if we can get like hyper nerdy technical first, <laughs> yeah. you need a model. That model has to have a basis on, for example, how to speak English. Let's take, you know, whatever, GPT-3, right? Is that the, is that the cutting edge sort of, you know, natural language model these days? That's a, that's a model that's trained on a shit ton of data, yeah. Okay. I assume you guys probably have some sort of foundation like that. that you're not teaching your, your virtual beings how to say hello, how to say how are you, how to say, you know, uh, my name is, you're probably it's, focusing. It's a, real, it's a real mix though, because, okay. 
because on the output side, you know, it's the output side you have to worry about. If you're, if you're deploying AIs in public spaces, there, there, there's very little tolerance for AIs that are sexist and racist. Absolutely. That's and uh, it's very easy for pure algorithmic stuff to stray off the path. In yep. fact, it's quite normal. Yep. Um, so we're really careful with our outputs. Where the AI is working is mostly on the inputs and the natural language processing side. Um, and obviously in voice and those kind of things. Okay. But, you know, again, we look at it as a technology stack where we don't have to build everything. Right. There's like, you know, we're, we're, this is a, this is a very interesting time where new technologies are outputting all the time and then we can just put it into our stack and make our, make our, um, make our being smarter or, or, uh, look better. Yeah. <laughs> feel better. Yep. Feel better. Feel more human. It's like a new model of a Turing test, isn't it? It's not just is it convincing as you know a replica of 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 a human, a generic human. It's like a hyper specific Turing test where it has to be convincing as someone who went through a residential school. Well, although although I'm also I'm also not I'm not that interested in hyper realism. Right. Personally, hyper realism is what banking bots will be. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's a lot of companies that are making banking bots or those kind of things. They're hunting for hyper-realism and those sorts of things, which are very important in those kind of service. We're, what we're, we, as a company, what we're interested in is um, exploring the imagination space with these things. Right. What can live beyond a face on a screen? How can we expand the, the uh, thought sphere uh, around what could be? What are the possibilities around these technologies that aren't just simply talking to something that looks exactly like a human as a human? Right. And then I guess, I mean, virtual being is, is not a far cry from digital twin, right? This idea of you, David Usher, answering a bunch of questions, hitting go, and then spitting out the other side, uh, an, an avatar who can sort of represent you online in whatever video games and or websites and or video conferences, etc. Do you spend any time thinking about that, this idea of sort of capturing some proximity of you? We're working, we're working on, we're working on exactly that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's super cool too. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool. Okay. So let's, um, let's expand. Let's look at some other stuff. I chunk digital entertainment into Four very broad categories, like there's like linear, some, you know, whatever, movies, television, uh, that sort of stuff. There's interactive, primarily games, maybe digital interactive fiction, that kind of stuff. There's written books, magazines, audio, music, podcasts. Uh, am I missing anything? Or does those four I think that's chunks right. feel right? Okay. Sure. So just quickly, like if you had to like, you know, bullet point each of those four major chunks, how do you think AI is going to? change them in the next five years? Like what are some thoughts about how movies and TV will evolve because of AI in the next five years versus say, you know, music and podcasts? Okay. Well, I mean, for, for movies and TV, we're already seeing, there's a lot of AI built into all this virtual filming and virtual studios, virtual tech, you know, uh, the ability to, there's a lot of virtual beings being put into there, a lot of CG and a lot of that is, is AI. Um, it's changing, it's changing filmmaking. If you look at Mel's out there, the studio where they can, you know, they can film everything in house and they can change your backgrounds, your lighting all through CG. A lot of that is AI based. Same with TV. What we have to watch out for in terms of, in terms of art and creativity is the way that AI can take away scarcity. Okay. If you look at, um, news articles, for instance, you know, we now have a, we now have things like GPT-3 that can, um, write a news article almost as well as a human can write it. You know, there's some editing going on, but there's editing on, on humans as well. But when we get to a place where you really cannot tell the difference between a news article written by an AI and a news article written by a, uh, a human on any subject, um, what you lose is scarcity, right? right. You lose any, you, you basically you're able to flood the market with just mass amounts of data and data takes away, like mass amounts of anything take away the scarcity. And then what powers the economy of that? We've really found that with music, where the, uh, when digital came and it swept into music and brought all the costs down of everything, and music became like a loss leader for tech. And there's just so much music out there that the staying power of most pieces of music is you know, a week, yeah. maybe a month. What it does is it drives the cost down and it turns... It turns musicians that might have been able to do all these things 
into more of hobbyists because there just isn't the, the economic infrastructure to support it all. Right. So I guess that sort of covers written and audio. We could talk about games afterwards or, or maybe we'll... Games, I mean, games is a great example. You know, games, I think the AI is going to be everywhere in games. Everyone is going to be running their own character. The characters that speak to you are going to be speaking completely autonomously. They're going to be able to take so many different inputs of, of what you've done previously or what you right. will do in the future. And they will be able to manipulate their movements and their speech based on those things. I think that's going to become, become a very big thing. It's already, it already is actually, it already it's, is, already, but it's in, already being inputted now. But. Increasingly so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm looking forward to, there's a couple of touch, a couple of moments in games. Um, obviously this is an area I spend a lot of time thinking about, but as it relates to AI, I'm looking forward to interacting with a hundred percent AI generated character, meaning anything that that character says is powered by AI you know, like a, a her, you know, the, that, that wonderful yeah. movie kind of with Joaquin Phoenix kind of thing. But also that everything that character does from an animation point of view, as you were saying earlier, that's all GAN powered, right? That's all, um, that's all powered by AI. Uh, and so it really is a digital being manifest in an interactive environment, which, you know, that's, that's a step towards like holodeck, right? That's like, you know, hey, you know, computer, I want to, I want to hang out with Einstein and go fishing with him, make it so, you know, that's a step towards that. And I, that to me is really exciting. And then the other thing to your, to our previous conversation point about digital twins is as games go increasingly online and increasingly persistent world, you know, I'm interested in having an avatar that I trust to represent me when I have to log out. Um, and, and that I know that, to a certain extent within, you know, within a range of, of, of flexibility that I'm comfortable with, um, that avatar will, will act like me, talk like me, think like me, make decisions like me and, and basically represent my interests for me while I'm disconnected from the game. And then when I log back in, the avatar sort of is like, Hey, here's what you missed. Uh, you, you killed this guy cause he was being a jerk, but you bought this thing from this passing vendor. I think you'll like it. And I'm like, yeah, cool, thanks, man. <laughs> I've actually been. Like, there, isn't there? Aren't there chatbots on Twitch that run the Twitch channels at night when the gamers go off? I think that's happening now. I think you're right, although I don't think they're um, they're not representing the sort of charisma of the Twitch streamers at the level yet, that no. I would you not, know, aspire towards. Right? Not and, yet. And and but I mean, I think that's the way we need to judge the tech. Right? Yeah. We don't judge it as now. We judge it in five years. Absolutely. Like, it's the path to where we're going yes. rather than where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in your talks about, um, well, first of all, the work you did with uh, Pablo Google, the sort of the lyric co-authorship, but also y you talk about scarcity. Um, well, it brings up the subject of co-authorship. So, so typically we've had you know, 100% organic intelligence has been responsible for, for all creative domains. Now, you know, we're beginning to transition into this sort of co-authorship model where, you know, you, you collaborate with AI to uh, find inspiration for your song, to find, I don't know, inspiration for your lyrics, to find clickbaity headlines for your blog post, you know, whatever. What, there's all sorts of ways that AI can co-author uh, with, with human intelligence these days to whatever, optimize, shall we say. But do we want to go 100% towards um, AI creativity? Is that something we should aspire towards? Or does that somehow weaken uh, the creative process in the way that you were saying, where it so completely removes scarcity as to devalue all creativity? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to. I think it's going to go there. But do I want to? Have I got interest in that? Not particularly. I don't really particularly have, a, a, you know, a strong desire to listen to machine-made albums. I'm interested in the people and the stories behind the albums as much as the, I think those are, are a big part of, of what makes it human. Right. <laughs> it's, not just the, it's not just the product. It's the story behind the product. You know, what you're, it's the story behind the output that also makes things interesting. Um, you know, it's process and product. Um, so for me, you know, I definitely think things are going there. AI is going to make, be able to make 
songs as well as people can make songs. It is where, where we hope where we're going to, we're, we're going to, you know, keep our relevance is in that story that lives underneath plus the rough edges, you know, mm. the rough edges are maybe harder to, to, uh, at least for now to, um, to copy. I mean, and, and my experience so far with, um, with AI generation of lyrics and, and, uh, poetry and things like that has been so far, it's still, we still have a long way to go. Right. We still have a long way to go. It's, it's very difficult because if you look at the way, you know, you have to stack up data sets and, and then what the AIs really look for in their, when they're, when they're trying to figure out, you know, comparative cadence, rhyming, all of those things that you need to make. And then meaning it's really, it's really difficult to, to make, um, to make these things spit out stuff that is actually useful for ours to work with. Right. It's hard. It's hard stuff. Can you talk a little bit more about rough edges? Yeah. I mean, you know, human work more recently has been using computers to smooth out the human edges. And I think that that's what, that's what AI naturally does. It rounds out all the corners and tries to, because it's doing, it's doing combinations of what's popular in a way, you know, in its simplest, if you want to really want to dumb down what it's doing, you know, it's, it's seeing, it's looking through the data and it's doing comparatives of different things. And it's basically trying to give you what you want. And what you want tends to be what's used most. And right. what's used most is the smooth, I love you stuff. Yeah. Or the whatever, you know, often, often it's the, that's why the racial stuff often rises to the top because it's used so much right. or the sexist stuff. Um, but when I'm talking about rough edges, it's, it's stuff that humans put in naturally because we are rough edges. Right. You know, we're not perfect beings. We are um, sort of an amalgamation of all of our, our faults and downfalls. And that's what makes the music interesting. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And obviously I would say that that holds true equally to the written form, books and magazine articles and that sort of stuff. I think if so. If it's too silky smooth, um, has no rough edges, uh, forgets scarcity, but it's just, if it's too perfect as to be um, lowest common denominator, right? Uh, it, it sort of loses it loses its value over time, right? Because you're sort of just you're just mainlining honey all day, every day, uh, and you, you need well. Some... And if if you look at what you want, just take lyrics for example. Yeah. If if you're looking for a partner to write lyrics with, yeah, you're looking for someone that will elevate your your ideas. Yes, that will take you places you never thought of that you can never go. Now that's possible with an idea, but with an AI. But the difficulty is that you need it to produce turns of phrase and word combinations that are elevated. And that's diff- it's so difficult. They, huh. they, there's so many parts because you, you're really dealing, I mean, just think about rhyming. Right. Rhyming itself is hard. Good rhyming is hard. Easy rhyming is easy, but good rhyming is hard. Yeah. It's that, very subtle. It, that, wow, that's a really fantastic point that when you want co-authorship, you want someone that elevates you. And at least right now, AI is likely to just spoon feed you back the stuff you already know. I mean, if we were to if we were to translate that to like uh, an AI to help you come up with with a new idea for a video game, right? And and you come to the table and you say, "I want to do, you know, a match three game, and I want to pair it with something. What should I pair it with?" You know, the AI is gonna search the data banks and come up with a uh, fantasy fighting dragons. You should pair match three with fighting dragons. And why is it gonna do that? Well, because there's been a bunch of games that have paired match three with fighting dragons and made a bunch of money. So they're going to likely float to the top of, you know, the, the, basically the internet, right? If you search for match three video games, a bunch of them will be. Where it does get interesting are things like some of the GPT-3 models on images are very interesting Okay, where you can say, you know, I want, you can, you can talk about images in a way that, that it's a very interesting, um, way for imagination triggering. I think there's something there um, that could well be a companion. Okay. Uh, I just, yeah, I, I think there's, these are the possibilities that, you know, if, if I, if you look at these AI technologies as much like when, when DAWs came in, digital workstations came into computers, right? Mm-hmm. We, there are all these plugins, all these instruments, all of these things, but they don't help you make songs unless you know how to use these things mm-hmm. and use the tools in, in a way that works that, that makes things come to life. There's all these tools. And I think that for quite a while, 
the way AI is going to come into creativity is, is in a tool set. It's right. going to give us a tool set that will help our imagination in certain areas and help our, it'll be a tool set within our work, within our, you know, within our workflow. Yeah. Um, that'll help, you know, help enhance what we do. That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, um, I hope to have on the podcast uh, a few more people in the industry talking about AI from a variety of different points of view. And, and one of the places that I, I do want to explore um, is people who are using AI to build tools, to build production tools to, to help the co-authorship of creativity across a variety of different you know, genres. And in particular, really focusing on well, the tech, but also that point you brought up earlier about the interface, right? Because it sounds to me like to truly democratize the use of AI in the creative process, where we almost need to focus as much on the interface as we do on the underlying, you know, technical stack so that creatives are integrating it into their process in more interesting ways and, and therefore sort of pushing at the edges of what's possible beyond, you know, beyond what we, what we take for granted today. Yeah. Whenever we're doing a, like an analysis on a new piece of tech or a new programmatic AI that's coming out, it's always about um, what the possibilities of that technology are, but it's also about what the limitations are Okay, yeah. and under, like understanding how it can actually be used. Because as a creative studio, you're putting real things in front of real people um, and they have to kind of work in some way to enhance that experience. So it's trying to figure out what pieces of tech, what ideas are actually useful and what are not useful at all. Right. For us. Yeah. Anyway, not that they're not useful. I'm sure they're useful for somebody, but for us specifically as a company, what can be useful? Right. Um, we mentioned her. You obviously have, I would say, a relatively rich picture in your mind of where you think AI is going to be in, in the coming years. Uh, this is a question that I ask uh, a, a variety of, of my guests on this podcast. Um, what is your personal piece, your favorite piece of science fiction that features AI? Um, any medium, book, hmm. TV show, movie, whatever. Um, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm totally into the expanse right now. Oh, That's my, great. Yes. That is my, that is my, that is my sci-fi of choice. Awesome. I'm in love with that show. Okay. And nobody, so, so few people seem to actually watch that show. Can but. you tell us why? Why, why do you love it? I don't know. It just captures all the things that I like in sci-fi. It's built a great world um, with great possibilities. It's really got all the pieces. Okay. Um, okay. Is it the the characters, the drama? Is there something about the technology in the expanse that you find particularly plausible, particularly realistic, or for you, is it really just a tool, a, a component, like a, like a character, like it's just an actor? Uh, I think it's just an actor because I mean it, it, it's 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 a it's a well made piece of science fiction. Yeah, where absolutely. it's got all the elements that make you, um, you know, I guess I guess too, it's the world building that yes. you really love. Yes. Like it's the it's the that they've really built these worlds as you know the 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 balance between Earth, Mars, and and um, what's the other one? The uh, I'm spacing on their name. <laughs> That's okay. The, the mining, the mining. Yes, operation. those yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's a good it's a good language. Yeah. No, I agree. Developed. I I agree. Um, I I like to I like to sometimes spitball with people about you know like a um what are the steps to get from where we are today to a hypothetical piece of technology, whether it be the holodeck or her or, you know, something. Um, as it relates to the, the subject of virtual beings and AI and, and that sort of stuff, um, how far away do you think we are from her, from, a, you know, an AI that we can plug into our ear and quite literally fall in love with? And, and what, what's missing? Why, why don't we have that today? I, I actually think that's already happening in places like China oh, and really? Japan a bit. Yeah, there huh. are already AIs that, that um, are, you know, these, the, I don't know if you, it's, like, it's a really bizarre world, but these, you know, these girlfriend AIs, yeah. they, they already exist. Um, <laughs> oh my God. I don't think we're far away at all. Okay. I don't think we're far away at all. Um, do I think it's healthy? Not particularly, but do I think we're far away? No. Right. I think it's coming and coming quickly. Yeah. I mean... There still needs to be some advancement, but it's definitely on the path. I wonder if those AIs, uh, I have heard about the, these, these 
you know, Chinese girlfriend AIs and whatnot. But like when I read about it, it made it seem like it was sort of like the 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 replica chat bot. I don't know if you've played with replica.ai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which it does a pretty decent job, but it is a chat bot, right? And so I do find that is a limiter in terms of how, even if the the, the conversations are sometimes fascinating in terms of like the depth and where they're going, because it's just text and it's not audio, it does always feel like I have, uh, you know, I, I hold it at emotional arm's length. Whereas again, with her, it was indistinguishable from, from, from a human, right? It was as subtle and emotional and, and believable as having your girlfriend on the phone. Um, but I, again, I don't judge the tech of where it is. I judge it of where I think it will be. And I think that things like Replica are great examples of, of where the tech's going to be. Yeah. You know, if you, I, I've, I've seen other things that have come out from them and it is definitely advancing for sure. And, um, and quite good. Yeah. I think that if we visualize where that company alone and that technology will be in five years, I think it's going to be elevated like yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, you um, were talking I, earlier about, you know, ethics sort of, you know, maybe, maybe aside the, 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 the technical power, the possibility of bringing people back from the dead and the, the origin story of Replica, right? That, that story about the yes. founder, you know, wanting to speak with her friend again. Yep. It's very moving. It's a very powerful story. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I'm sure we all have people in our lives who we've probably lost, who we wished we could talk to again. And if AI can help us get there, um, it's it's a very interesting ethical well, question. The, way, the but, way we talk about it is, or the way I talk about it is that uh, it doesn't have to feel so macabre mm-hmm. in terms of, if you look at, if you look at the way we talk to our grandparents these days, you know, it's a story, it's a photograph, maybe it's a video, mm-hmm. but the ability to capture more than that is just the natural, yeah. with the technology, it's just the natural extension. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly agree. Um, we've talked a ton about AI um, and thank you for, you've gone deep on technical, <laughs> you've been broad in terms of creativity and entertainment and co-authorship, we've touched upon some of the ethics, it, it's been great, I, this was really where I wanted to go when talking to you. Um, I do want to touch upon uh, a little bit your, um, your history as a musician, uh, because, because I think that's a very interesting thread of entertainment as well, uh, the idea of the evolution of the performer. Um, so just to set the context, uh, over the last couple of years, video games in particular have been the stage of some of the largest virtual performances, well, sorry, the largest performances done virtually in history. Uh, there was a huge show inside of Fortnite, or there have been a few, but Travis Scott put on a big show inside of Fortnite. More recently, um, Little Nas X, uh, you know, the Old Town Road guy, he did a huge thing in Roadblox. I think yep. 31 million people or something like that, you know, experienced that show. Tomorrowland did a huge one too. Okay, yeah. So can you just, as a performer, like, what do you think of virtual concerts? Like, do, do you, do you, what are your, what are the pros and cons that you perceive? They're not, they're not interesting to me personally. Okay. Um, simply because, you know, I'm selfish as a performer. I like to, you know, I like to hang out with the audience. Right. You know, I like to play with my friends. Um, that's just what I like to do when I play music. That's sort of the point for me is to, uh, to go somewhere to see an audience and to play music for them uh, live. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that those aren't valid. They, they're absolutely valid. And people are, you know, virtual worlds are a huge thing right now. Um, you know, this metaverse, it, it, we're getting more and more um, places to go. But for myself as a performer, I like to, you know, I like to be on stage and play for people. Mm-hmm. That's just my own selfish fun. <laughs> Can you see a way... Is there is there any technology that could um, bridge that gap for you? I mean, obviously, it will never replace it, right? Short of being in in the concert hall, up on stage with the people in the audience and hearing them and feeling them and smelling them, um, can you see any technology on the horizon 
that might get you a couple of steps closer. Uh, I don't know, telepresence sure. or anything like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's technologies like Portal, not the game, but mm-hmm. the the guys that make the box, the hollow box. Okay. And there's you know, but you're still looking at the audience through a camera, right? You know, that's the the thing. Uh, because again, it's it's about those rough edges are not, and the story behind it are not just in the you know live performance isn't just software. It's the going there, being you know the whole process of getting there, of hanging out with everyone that you like, and setting up, and the pre-show, and the post-show, and the audience itself, and the fun in the show, the mistakes in the show, the interaction with the people in the show, the rough edges, <laughs> the rough edges. It's the fun for me. Yeah, it's what I want out of it. I want. Uh, I don't drink very much anymore, but you still want it to smell like whiskey, you know? (laughs) I guess, you know, I will be, it'll be fascinating to see what, you know, the next generation feels. Even obviously COVID accelerates this, right? But even without COVID, I think it, it could be argued that there is, there was a trend towards increasingly digital, you know, I'm just looking at my kids. I know your daughter is roughly speaking the same age as mine. Um, they were moving increasingly towards digital even before COVID, obviously exceptionally so now. This generation that's growing up on digital anyways, and then sort of magnifying that significantly because of COVID, will they ever have the same attitude towards, you know, smelling the audience and 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 tasting the whiskey associated with their musical performances or will it strike them as some sort of barbaric practice that you know the old people did but but yeah, this totally. is what real this is how music is meant to be experienced it's all yeah. holograms it's very, it's, you know it's very it's very possible i mean i remember when smoking left venues yeah you know i we you know i remember thinking oh this is going to suck i don't smoke <laughs> but i like that they're smoking in venues cuz it's just I don't know. It's sort of rock and roll and fun, but now if you go into a venue and there's, if there was ever smoking, you'd be, what the hell is that? Yeah. You know, it seems crazy now. Yeah, it really so does. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I do think though, you know, despite the rise of digital and and I think it's gonna, I don't think it's leaving us at all. The new, you know, COVID has accelerated the move to digital by ten years. Yeah, um, and I don't think it's leaving anytime soon. I think you know, work from home is going to be a, a thing for a lot of people. They're going to continue after COVID leaves, but I also think the rush back to live is going to happen, and it's going to people are going to go mental mm-hmm. when this thing fades away, if it ever does. Um, I think people are just going to lose their minds and want to be out. I know I do. Yeah, I think you're right. I I, I think I agree. I think it has been an accelerant, but I don't think it has been the death of face-to-face. I don't think we've heard the death knell for live in any way, shape, or form. Um, no, because the reality is it's more fun. Yeah. Shared experience, certain things you, you know, it's not only shared experience for the performers, but the shared experience for the audience, whether you're hanging out with your friends and a whole bunch of other strangers, there is a shared experience that happens in a moment in a room that you can't replicate through VR sitting in your bedroom. Yeah. I had a really interesting conversation uh, a few weeks ago um, with Brenda Romero, who's a a game designer who's been working professionally in video games for 41 years. Uh, She's amazing. Really, it was a wonderful conversation. And we touched upon the subject of uh, real play, real life play versus virtual play. So basically... You know, I'm paraphrasing here, but in 20 years, will kids still be playing tag? Uh, or will all tag be played out, you know, virtually inside of Minecraft 2 or whatever it is? Right. And it was it was great. On the one hand, uh, I'm, I'm bringing it up because I hear so much parallels between what she said and what you said, which is on the one hand, there are certain things that technology and persistent digital worlds can bring to the game of tag that just don't exist in the real world, you know infinite variability, infinite partners to play with, 24 hour seven, you know, lights, 24 hour seven variability in terms of your play space. I mean, there's so many ways you can take the basic game of tag and extend it in a digital way that just wouldn't be possible physically. So on the one hand, she was saying, you know, absolutely, I think people will be playing tag in video games 
you know, increasingly so. But on the other hand, I'm looking outside my window right now and school's just ended and all the kids are outside playing tag in the park instead of sitting at their, you know, their computers playing video games. So I don't think the real world uh, and interacting in the real world is going to go away anytime soon. Um, I think it depends what the world is like. (laughs) It depends on what happens to the world. (laughs) I guess that's very true. I guess that's very true. Um, Well, listen, uh, David, thank you so much for your time. Uh, This has been a really fascinating conversation. Uh, In closing, are there any themes or subjects that you were hoping we would have a chance to chat about that we didn't get a chance to cover? I think we've covered it, man. No, that's great. Thank you. All right. Well, once again, David, uh, thank you so much for being here. I I look forward to seeing um, the work that you do. I find the kinds of work you do um, with your agency fascinating. I find your podcast fascinating. I'm a subscriber. I can't wait for the next episodes. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to talk with me today. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much to David for joining us on this podcast, sharing his thoughts and insights, his incredible experience. I, for one, learned a ton about all of the different ways that AI is being used to obviously shake up the entertainment industry, to change how creators think about authorship, think about creativity, uh, and, and hopefully you got a lot out of the podcast as well. If you did and you, you like this subject, you like learning about AI and, and, and how it's going to change the landscape of entertainment, if you're curious about the future of entertainment in general and have thoughts about guests that you would like to see appear, subjects you'd like to see us cover, people you think we should bring back and dig deeper into the conversation with them, please don't hesitate to email us at podcast at rovio.com. Likewise, if you'd like to be notified when new episodes launch, don't hesitate to subscribe. Um, We've got a lot of great guests coming up. I think we're going to be covering some really exciting subjects. And I look forward to hearing whether you found them interesting, engaging, whether you learned something, um, and just in general, uh, what sort of themes and trends you want to hear us continue to explore. So with that, thank you very much. Have a wonderful afternoon. And I look forward to doing the next episode shortly.